Oh my goodness, you crazy son of a bitch. Do you have any idea what you've just done? You've just discovered the Marks and Lestrap Show Podcast Hour. This is the show that may or may not be an hour long based on your perception of time and how much I've got to say. So strap yourselves in and prepare your ears for the journey of a lifetime with your host of the Martin Lestrap Show Podcast Hour, me, you idiot. Welcome everybody to the Martin Lestrap Show Podcast Hour. This is episode number 178. And I am very excited on this episode. We are uh, we're, we're going back to basics a little bit. We're going a little bit old school, so to speak. So for the last several months, the, the format of the Martin Lestrap Show podcast hour has been evolving. And it's, it's been evolving into a direction that uh, I'm very happy with and that I'm very excited about, which is we're going in the direction of... Uh, of me having more, uh, uh, I guess, m- more regular contributors, more occasional co-hosts, uh, such as Liz Hersey and Gary Lopez and Justine Gorney. And uh, we're not getting away from uh, topics about writing and publishing, but 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 uh, you know we're 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 broadening the uh, we're broad broadening the uh, the parameters of what we generally talk about on the Marginless Trap Show podcast hour. So when when the show was first first created back in uh, back in I, I believe the first episode was January of 2014, something like that. So I was I started thinking about the show in uh, in the fall of 2013, like really thinking about if I did a podcast, what would it be about? And so at that time. I had made the decision that the show would be based around writing and publishing and specifically would be an interview based show where I would where I would interview other other authors. And, and my and my hope was to get authors, you know, across the spectrum from traditionally published authors to independently published authors, uh, authors who were bestsellers to authors who were just starting out. I wanted to talk to everybody and I wanted to get just a whole spectrum of experiences from from different writers. And so then that that was the show for the first several years. And uh and recently in the last few months and it's probably fair to say in the last year or so that the show's it's it's evolved in a different direction, but it hasn't happened by accident. Uh, you know, the the longer I do the show, um I was um I, I was getting antsy to do something a little bit different, and so so that's why you know, for example, uh, you heard uh, uh, the the mini series, the the mini the mini series within the podcast that I did with Liz Hersey for uh, the, the past eight episodes, uh, more or less, called Stranger Things, and so that's where Liz and I went through the first season of Stranger Things and did one episode of the podcast for every episode of of that first season of Stranger Things and we just went in depth talking about one of our very favorite shows. Now format wise it still lent itself to what the podcast was uh, originally designed to do which is we were still talking about storytelling. Um but in this case we were just it, it was just Liz and I, you know, bouncing ideas off of each other, uh analyzing the show together, exchanging ideas and it was it was a lot of fun. So uh and, and you're going to get a lot more of that again moving into the you know, into the future of the podcast you're going to see a lot more repeat appearances from some of my regular contributors again such as Gary Lopez, Justin Gorney, certainly 
Liz Hersey, one of these days, I'll get my, uh, my, the original occasional co-host and, uh, my, my, my best friend and my, my lovely bride, Chanel Chaco, one of these days, I'll get her back on the podcast, but, uh, who knows when that'll happen. She claims that she enjoys doing the podcast and I'm pretty sure she means it when she says it, but, uh, but when it's time to actually turn on the microphones, she's, uh, she, she usually finds herself busy doing something else. So one of these days, we'll get her back on the show. So anyway, that said, today's episode is is going is, is kind of going back to basics. It's, kind of, it's going back towards the uh, the original conceit of this podcast. And I'm going to have a, a wonderful, a wonderful interview with you with author Damian Angelica Walters. And uh, I'll also be talking to my favorite action hero, Ben Eads, who's been on the show a couple of times. You've heard Ben on uh, episode 53, and you also heard Ben on episode 122. Episode 122, incidentally, that's the episode where where Ben Eads became my very favorite action star because he told uh, a, a, an amazing story, an absolutely amazing story, which, uh, you know, if you haven't heard episode 122, which would be interesting since you're on episode 178, but, you know, there's a million reasons why you could have skipped all the way to episode 178, not the least of which you specifically wanted to hear Damien Angelica Walters, so you had no reason to listen to episodes 1 through 177. Totally understandable. No hard feelings. But if you decide to, I would highly recommend going back to episode 122 to listen to my conversation with Ben Eads. Because he tells a very amazing story about, uh, you know, about how he uh, can and will and has uh, beat some people up, but not not out of uh, not out of malice or or bad intentions, but uh, but in in the role of superhero and basically uh, basically being the uh, being sort of the, the the Batman of his community. It's pretty goddamn amazing. So you should go back and listen to it. So Ben Eads will be on this episode. And actually, so so the reason uh, this episode came together at all is Ben Eads, he contacted me uh, not that long ago. Actually, you know, fuck, it was back on episode 122. I, uh, he specifically came on the show to talk about uh, an anthology that he had been, uh, he had been uh, tapped to edit, Tales from the Lake, volume four, the horror anthology, published by Crystal Lake Publishing. And so, uh, so, so back on episode 22, which was uh, 56 episodes ago, if my math is correct, um, he, he had just begun the process. And in fact, I don't even think the editing process had begun. A, a big reason he came on the show was he was putting out a call. He wanted to, he wanted to help get the word out to, to authors out, you know, out, out in the world who, wanted to, who, who might want to submit their stories to Tales from the Lake, Volume 4. So now, on this episode 178, that anthology, it, it's complete. Uh, all the stories have been submitted, they've been edited, the anthology is complete, and it was officially published on October 27th, 2017. And in all, there are 24 rendering tales from elements of terror, mystery, and a nightmarish darkness that knows no end. That is, again, Tales from the Lake, Volume 4, the horror anthology edited by my favorite action hero, Ben Eats. And there are several, several wonderful authors who are represented in this anthology, uh, including Joe R. Lansdale, Kaylin Patrick Burke, Jennifer Lorings, and 
my guest today on episode 178, Damien Angelica Walters. Uh, her, her short story is Everything Hurts Until It Doesn't. So that is her contribution to the to the anthology. And uh, she and I, we had a, a really, really wonderful conversation. So I'm really excited to, to present this to you. Uh, ben is there. He's there. Uh, primarily, he's 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 uh, politely hanging out in the background because he's a gentleman. But before the conversation is over, I will make a point of pulling Ben Eads into it. Um, but by and large, and uh, the the conversation is between Damien, Angelica Walters, and myself. Uh, which which uh, again, I don't I don't know if I mentioned this. I think I meant to. This was at uh, the request of Ben Eads again with with the anthology coming out. Uh, he reached out and, uh, you know, and again, Ben, yeah, not only is he my favorite action star, uh, but but he really is a, a good friend of mine. And so so uh, if Ben reaches out and asks for a favor, especially if that favor includes, you know, coming on the podcast, I am always happy to uh, to help out Ben. So so he asked if uh, if we can do an episode uh, to help promote the, the anthology Tells from the Lake Volume 4. I was happy to do it. And I was especially happy when he told me that Damien Angelica Walters was going to be available to uh, to be on, on on the episode. So that was just a double win on my end. Uh, if you're not familiar, Damien Angelica Walters, uh, she is an award-winning horror author. She's the winner of This Is Horror Short Story Collection of the Year. Uh, her short fiction has twice been nominated for a Bram Stoker Award, uh, which is pretty gosh darn amazing. She's also been reprinted in the year's best dark fantasy and horror, as well as the year's best weird fiction. Uh, and she's got she's got an awful lot of writing credits. Uh, she's been published in various anthologies and magazines, including the Shirley Jackson Award-winning Nightmare Magazine, Black Satanic, uh, and uh, Apex Magazine. So, uh, along with, with all of those uh, wonderful and very impressive credits, Damien Angelica Walters is also just really goddamned charming. Uh, she's smart and articulate and uh, funny and just has a lot of really interesting and wonderful things to offer about her journey as, a, as, as an author. Uh, oh, actually, I, I come to think of it, she she's also published a novel called Paper Tigers that was published by Dark House Press in February of 2016. And if perchance you are a regular listener to the show and you're thinking to yourself, Dark House Press, that sounds familiar, you're not crazy. It's because on episode 107, my guest was Richard Thomas, and Richard Thomas, he is uh, he's he's the founder and he runs Dark House Press. So it was Richard Thomas. Who published Damien Angelica Walters' uh, novel? If I'm not mistaken, I think it might have been her first novel. Again, that was called Paper Tigers. So, uh, so the Richard Thomas episode again. That was episode 107. That was back uh, February 8th, 2016. And um, uh, ironically, after Richard and I spoke on the podcast, uh, he had reached out to me about having some of his authors on the show to help promote their you know, promote their books, which I was happy to do. Um, uh, Rebecca, Rebecca Jones Howe was one of uh, Richard's authors who, uh, who was on the show and she and I had a really wonderful conversation about her outstanding short story collection, Vile Men. And then the other, uh, the other author Richard had uh, asked me to, about having on the podcast was Damien Angelica Walters. Now, uh, you know, uh, Damien is, is very busy and so, uh, we, we ultimately, you know, we weren't able to, to, to get her on the show at that time. 
So having her on the show now, uh, ultimately coming full circle, is uh, is is wonderful, and it was well worth the wait because Damien is. She was just outstanding to talk to. I really loved having her on the show, and uh, you're gonna you're gonna hear that for yourself uh, in just a second. So um, before I get to my conversation with Damien Angelica Walters, with an appearance later by my favorite action hero Ben Eat. I just want to remind you that if you have any shopping to do, please do it on Amazon.com. But before you go to Amazon.com, first go to the official website of this podcast, MartinLestrapsShow.com. I ran out of breath when I was saying that, so I don't know if that uh, if that uh, even picked up. I'll do that one again. How about that? Go to the official website of this podcast, MartinLestrapsShow.com. Once you get there... Go to the shop page, and uh, on the shop page, you're going to see an Amazon banner right at the top for your convenience. Click that banner. Once you do that, it's going to take you to Amazon. Once you're at Amazon, you can do all the same shopping you were otherwise going to do, including getting yourself a copy of Tales from the Lake, Volume 4, the horror anthology published by Crystal Lake Publishing on October 27, 2017. And because you went through the official website of this podcast... Once you make that purchase, Amazon in turn will kick back a few pennies our way, and then we get to take those pennies and reinvest them into the podcast, and that allows us to make the Marginless Trap Show podcast hour as good as we can possibly make it for you, which we strive to do week after week after week. Episode 178, notwithstanding. Also, if you're not already subscribed to the show, please subscribe. You can do so on iTunes. It is absolutely free. And once you're subscribed every week or thereabouts, a new episode will drop in your iTunes list. It's like magic. It is my gift to you, and I'm very happy to do it. If you're not an iTunes listener, you can also listen on Stitcher Radio. And uh, and again, if no, if neither of those options does it for you, then you can always listen the old-fashioned way by going to martinlesstrapshow.com where all 178 episodes are available for you. So, without any further ado, I am very happy to to, to give you my conversation with award-winning and acclaimed horror author Damien Angelica Walters. And of course, stay tuned for uh, an appearance later in our conversation with my favorite action hero, Ben Eads. Here you go. I grew up in a Baltimore suburb in a neighborhood full of brick um, row houses where all of the kids in the neighborhood went outside, you know, in the nice, the warmer weather, ran outside when the sun was up, didn't come home until the street lamps went on. We ran from yard to yard, you know, even the yards that belonged to the elderly people that would yell at us to get (laughs) off their lawns, which they really do. Um, And then we would climb trees and then there was an alley in in the back of the house and it looked onto the little, you know, fenced in posted stamp yards of of another set of houses. And, you know, we would play wiffle ball in the alley and run around and generally, you know, just cause mayhem and chaos. I don't know. I mean, it was it was a childhood where we could still go outside without parents and there wasn't. You know, it, certainly we learned about stranger danger, but there there wasn't the um, the constriction that there seems to be on kids today. Yeah, so, I, I, I'm sorry. Yeah, I think that makes a difference, right? Uh, in terms of uh, not just having fun as a kid, right, but uh, kind of developing a, a sense of 
creativity, especially for someone who eventually will grow up to be a uh, a storyteller and, and a novelist and a, and a and a writer. That you know, having the freedom just as a kid, just to let your imagination you know uh, grow like that, has to be uh, useful. Yes, yes. It's you know, I my kids could still do that to to some extent when they were growing up, but now it, I mean, it's just shifted so radically that I don't know, kids, as kids, you learn by unrestrained play and that freedom, you learn, you know, boundaries and we knew where we could go and where we couldn't. And when that street lamp went on, you know, you went home or if a parent called and there were, you know, one parent could call another so that, Hey, do you see the kids? No, but they could call another one and realize that the kids were in front of their house mm-hmm. or, you know, in their house. I don't, it, it just, it, it saddens me that kids don't have that today. I mean, certainly there are, I'm sure, neighborhoods where they, they still can, but then you, you know, a few months ago or last year, I can't remember, there was a, a in, outside of, of Baltimore, there was a, mother and father who let their kids walk to school by themselves and child protective services got involved because somebody complained and the kids were, I don't know, 11 and nine or something. And the school wasn't very far away. Mm. And it's just like, it's, it's just sad. It's sad that, you know, the world has changed so much that kids don't have that because I think that it is, very beneficial for imagination, for sense of self, for, you know, being able to set boundaries on yourself. No, I, I absolutely agree. A few years back, I read a, a memoir, a collection of nonfiction essays by Michael Chabon. I believe it was called Manhood for Amateurs and a wonderful book. One of the essays in there, I forget the title of it, but he was very much talking or writing about what you were just now talking about in, in that, you know, when he was a kid, uh, he, you know, there was uh, this abundant freedom. And it, it wasn't even necessarily that the parents were, you know, granting this freedom. It was just they didn't they, they didn't know not to. So he would go out and explore. I think there was just a, like a big forest was essentially at the backyard and would just go for hours at a time. And, and you know, as an adult, he completely appreciates both the, the joy at, that he got out of that, the memories he created from that, but then also how much that contributed to his sense of uh, adventure when it came to writing and storytelling. But now, he, you know, he's got kids. And on the one hand, he completely remembers the benefit of being able to, to go out and, and live life as a kid and explore. But then he has to reconcile that with, you know, I've got a kid and they're precious and I don't want them to get hurt. But I want them to have that experience, but I don't want them to get hurt. And and he didn't even necessarily have like, a, you know, at the end of the essay, he didn't necessarily have an answer for himself. He was still seen to be kind of reconciling how do I protect my precious kid in this world that feels scarier now than it was then, even though it's probably not all that different, except, except, you know, uh, you know, from the, we pers- know about it. Yeah. That's, we know really about the, main that's difference. the difference. I mean, I've really, uh, you know, I've had this discussion with a lot of people and I don't know that, I mean, yes, there are more people, but is the world really any more dangerous? There've always been predators. Mm-hmm. There have always been, really shitty kids who do mean things to each other. Mm-hmm. I mean, they're, they're, this isn't, you know, there's, there's always been bullying. I think that the way we are all connected now electronically makes it, it make, well, it's certainly, you know, there's a lot more 
bullying that we know about because of social media, because everything is online. So you can see all the stories. But I, I, I don't know. I have I it's sad. It's sad that that it appears to be worse. And I mean, certainly in 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 some ways. Yes. Mm-hmm. I mean, bullying now that there is social media, it's made it easier. And so I think before where you would have the bullies who were, you know, up close and personal. Now you have a whole lot of, you know, the ones that can sit mm-hmm. behind their screen. And so that that's opened, I think, a door for something that maybe we didn't have as kids. Yeah, because I, I think the bullies were up close and personal. Yeah, I and, I completely agree with the with all of that, especially so like like right now, like even as you're talking about social media, like I'm you know I'm thinking about how uh, just how prevalent it is, you know, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Snapchat, which I I know of, but I actually don't know how to use it. Uh, you know, any number of forms of social media, which. Um, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm always surprised to find out, uh, and it, I mean, for me, it's not good or bad, but I'm always surprised to find out how social media has really become sort of the central form of, uh, entertainment, uh, particularly for a lot of, uh, kids and teenagers growing up where, you know, in, in my mind, you know, like, uh, I going to the movies and watching TV and, you know, reading a comic book or reading a good novel. Like these are, these are the ways that I think about uh, entertainment. And so I like I'm always a little bit shocked, not good or bad, but just surprised when I find out that, you know, say uh, uh, maybe I'm talking to one of my nieces and find out that, they don't, you know, they don't really watch TV. But, you know, they love uh, they go on YouTube and they have like favorite shows and favorite whatever on, on YouTube um, like that, like that idea blows my mind. Um, and so then I think about like when I was growing up. Of course, you know, I, I'm, I'm, I'm sure to, to somebody, you know, much older than me, they might have been, they thought they might have thought it was strange that I loved, you know, watching, you know, TV for hours at a time. Um, but, you know, now that I'll, I'll be 40 this year and uh, and it's it's it, I can look back and it's, it's easy for me to look back at the things that entertained me as a kid. And I can and I could see the, the influences they have on me as a, you know, it, it, as a writer when I'm, you know, if I'm, if I'm writing a, you know, a, a book or a short story or something like that. So, so in your case, I'm curious, you know, uh, uh, you kind of alluded to it, uh, you know, so, you know, you know, being a kid and, uh, you know, engaging with kids around the neighborhood and, and playing to the lights, uh, you know, street lights came up. Uh, can you think about some of the specific things that, that entertained you as a kid, uh, and, and particularly things where in retrospect, you can see connections between that and, and your writing that, you know, as a kid, you had no idea that you were developing certain storytelling muscles. You know, honestly, I think just the, the interplay of kids with kids. Mm -hmm. And then when we would go into, you know, everyone's house had a set of rules Mm -hmm. And learning to to navigate the adults in in your life, and learning that things that you can say, you know, at your own house, you know, you say you're you're different, you know, there's a difference in behavior, and it's not like putting a mask on, but it teaches you a certain behavior that I think, you know, help creates a well-rounded adult hopefully mm-hmm. well-rounded, which <laughs> then helps write about um, more realistic people, 
people, you know, with, with varied lives because we're all, you know, we behave a certain way in our house. We behave a certain way at work. We behave a certain way with our friends. Mm -hmm. And that's the sort of thing that I think growing up in that environment really, really teaches you is how how to be human. And, Mm -hmm. and, um, you know, certainly there were, there were woods and, you know, that we, we could get, we would get permission because we had to go across, um, a, a busy street. So it wasn't until I was a little older and we would go across and, you know, kind of explore and, you know, the woods were always kind of dark and creepy. So I certainly see <laughs> that in, in my fiction. Um, there's, let's see, I mean, just even, you know, playing at night and sometimes we would get permission to stay out after the lights, the street lights had, had come on and kind of seeing that the world was, you know, the same neighborhood mm-hmm. was different, was different when, when night fell, it felt different. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, just the being outside and, and when, when day turns to night, when day turns to twilight and then tonight, it it's, I think all of that kind of informs fiction. Absolutely. Yeah. I have a very specific memory of, uh, sleeping over at a friend's house and, uh, and you know, we, I think it was certainly, it, it was certainly, uh, nighttime. I definitely after midnight where we, we didn't outright sneak out. We just didn't necessarily tell his parents that we were <laughs> leaving the house, but we just, we just walked around just, uh, the, just the surrounding neighborhoods till, really until the, the the sun came up. And even though these were neighborhoods that I saw all the time, these were essentially houses that I was around all the time. These were shops that I generally saw with the lights on and people coming in and out. There was, there was something exotic about being there at nighttime. And, and, uh, and, and we weren't doing, we were literally doing nothing exciting except just walking around. But just even, even that, really was sort of fun, uh, fun and exotic. So what you're saying really resonates with me. Right. Because at that point, the neighborhood didn't belong to you. Like during the day when you're out playing, that neighborhood belonged to kids. Mm -hmm. It seemed like when you were, it was, it was our domain, but once we were supposed to be inside, if we then happened to go outside, it, it was, it was different. It was, this was a place where you know, it wasn't a no kids allowed sign, but it was a world that existed without us. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Uh, so so speaking of, of, you know, being a kid, when, so when I was a kid, <clears throat> excuse me, when I was a kid, I, 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 I didn't do nearly as much reading as I, in retrospect, wish that I had done. Uh, in large part, I, I think just uh, reading, like reading in and of itself, reading, reading and writing in and of itself it it came it came relatively easy to me but reading for enjoyment didn't come that didn't come easy to me at all and uh in large part you know as as years pass um i can make sense of it in in so far as that uh, my brain is wired in such a way that i'm a very visual learner so so as a kid comic books and television and movies were my favorite forms of entertainment and my favorite ways to uh, engage in a good story and and you know reading a book um, for me, and I think for a lot of people, um, it, it took more effort and I didn't know how to properly engage that effort to, to enjoy reading a book. So I was, I, I was, I was 18 years old. The first time I read a book front to back fully 
enjoyed and really understood, you know, the, the joy of reading that uh, so many people have. So for me, I always think of myself as, as a late bloomer when it comes to, to, to reading purely for the joy of it. Um, and so in your case, uh, especially because, uh, because you're a successful author, uh, at, at what point do you remember, uh, discovering a love for, for reading? Um, it's always been there. I, I cannot pinpoint when it just from the time, I mean, I used to go to the library with my father every Friday. Um, and I don't remember when that started. It, it is something that is just, it, we always did it. I mean, I'm sure there was a point when mm -hmm. we didn't, but I mean, <laughs> I can, you know, I just, there were always books in the house, always books around. Um, I would go to the library as, you know, I remember being five or six and coming out with a stack mm. of books that, you know, and, and I would want to try and carry them all. Um, and my, my, you know, my dad allowed it. He, he, gosh, I think how awful it would have been if he had told me, you know, no, put some of those back. I mean, I would have this huge <laughs> stack and in three days I would have them all read and, you know, be like rereading re them <laughs> by the time we went back the next Friday, we'd go every Friday night. It was, um, you know, our routine. And I, it's just, I, like I said, I can't remember a time when books were not in my life. They've oh, always been there. That's so awesome. I, I, uh, like I hear an experience like that and I, and I'm so envious. I mean, my, uh, my parents in particular, my mom was always very, uh, you know, she, like she loved to read. So I always saw her reading books and, uh, especially when I was younger, you know, she would read to my brother and I, uh, at night. And, uh, so, so, so I, I had that influence, but for whatever reason, I, 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 you know, like I said, I was, I was a late bloomer when I, when I, you know, fully discovered a, a, a joy of reading. So, so having, having, you know, having heard, uh, your experience when, so, so at what point, uh, did you go from having just this, uh, this love of reading that was that, that, that was always there. Uh, at what point did that go from I really love reading to kind of feeling that shift in your brain to I think I'd like to do this. I think I can do what what these authors are doing, and I think I want to be uh, an author myself. Do you have a memory of when when that shift happened? Um, I don't, but I remember being in I, you know, I I was either in second grade or third grade. Um, and I remember writing a book and, you know, it was illustrated and I, I don't remember, I know where there was a coffin and I want to say it was called like the <laughs> coughing coffin. And I don't know why that sticks in my head, this little, you know, book. And, and I don't remember anything about it other than it had crayon drawings and, you know, big print. And I remember I tried to sell it to my friends in the neighborhood, which was pretty funny in retrospect because, we're kids. We don't have any money. <laughs> I think I made, I made like three or four copies and tried to, to sell. I, and I don't think I did. Um, and sadly, I don't think any of them survived my childhood because that wasn't the, the last time. It may not have been the first time. That's the one that I remember. So already I was, you know, stepping into the dark and creepy or, or maybe wannabe creepy that probably was a little more humorous so you know I don't and then I just kept on writing um I remember in high school we had to write this term paper 
and it was I was writing about symbolism in the Scarlet Letter. Mm-hmm. So it had to be this very in-depth um, term paper, and it was, I don't know, a, a huge chunk of our grade. So I did a lot of reading and kind of, you know, you had to, you know, have a bibliography of all the, the books you use for research. And, you know, I had a bunch of books and then like the night before it was due, because then we had to write a rough draft. And I, mm-hmm. and I did that like two nights before it was due, but it, it wasn't, it was just so she could see what we were thinking. So the night before the final paper was due, I wrote it. <laughs> I threw out the, like the rough draft. I didn't even pay attention to it. It was like I was writing it for the first time. And my paper was read in class by the teacher as an example of like a well-researched, well-thought-out <laughs> paper. And there, you know, here I am dying thinking I pull, I pulled this out of my ass. I mean, it was, <laughs> it was not, it, it didn't seem it didn't seem like I was doing anything wrong when I did it because I was just writing this paper and uh-huh. I, I already knew the things that I wanted to say. And, and I had was, you know, saw the symbolism and, and um, I just didn't, I don't, I don't know. We had so many people in the class who were so stressing so badly over this paper. Um, so I guess, you know, the fact that I'm kind of okay at the writing thing mm-hmm. was, there probably nurtured from years and years and years of of reading it was not until like 2009 that i think it was about 2009 when i thought of attempting to get something published and the only reason i did that is because a group of um writer friends from absolute right a forum where i that i used to, to you know to visit for for a time encouraged me to do it. I, I don't know that I ever would have really done it. I mean, up until that point, you know, I was writing stories and vignettes and, you know, a couple failed novels failed in that, you know, one, I got to 80,000 words and had no idea where to take it. So I just let it go. <laughs> um, poetry, you know, all sorts of things. And it, again, I mean, I wrote for me, it wasn't, it, I didn't have an eye for publication and it wasn't until, you know, some other people said, you know, you, maybe you should. <laughs> and I said, all right, well, I'll give it a try. So uh, with, with that in mind, so going uh, going from uh, e- even that shift of, you know, going from a love of reading to discovering that you enjoyed writing to then eventually, you know, with the encouragement of friends, making that shift to, uh, I, I think I'd like to try to get published, uh, you know, at, th- at this point in, in your in your writing career, looking back, what would you say was the, the first the first genuine break you got where you knew that, you know, this moment forward, uh, things aren't going to be the same, you know, for the better. Um, probably that first pro rate fiction sale, that first short story. Mm -hmm. Uh, and it was like origami and water, which I sold to daily science fiction. And I remember when it, and, whether or not it was an actual shift, mm-hmm. I don't know, but there was, it was inside me. There was a shift. There was a, someone is willing to pay me mm-hmm. this, what's considered a pro rate, you know, which I guess, I guess at that time it was still five cents a word. Um, I, I think, I mean, I, I, it, for me, it, it was just that, 
it was it was a mental shift. It was wow, I've Absolutely. written something, you know that, and so from there it was just a there was just a different a different way of thinking, a different you know. But I mean, I certainly. I mean, making, I made mistakes. I should have, you know, I, when I first started submitting stories, I submitted them to like the semi-pro magazines. I assumed that, you know, the pro magazines were, were beyond where I should be reaching. Mm -hmm. And, you know, then I started submitting to the, the, the more professional, you know, the pro rate magazines and, you know, got lots of rejections and said, okay, well, I'm not good enough yet. I'll just keep trying and keep trying. I'm also really stubborn, which um, helps <laughs> <laughs> because this business is, um, this business can be really disheartening. Mm -hmm. I mean, certainly there's, there are some people who, I think even the people who appear from the outside to have amazing, you know, gold dust lined careers, I, I, would say most of them. I mean, certainly there's, you're going to have a few, um, a few who've, who've just really, you know, I don't, I hate to use the term lucky, but, the, but there is, you know, some of it is timing. Some mm -hmm. of it's the right story at the right, with the right editor at the right time, uh, whether you want to call that luck or just fortuitous circumstance, you know, there are some writers who fall into that and, you know, so things appear to be easier for them, but we all deal with rejection and self-doubt. And I think that as, as you go on, it, it may not necessarily get easier, but it gets e easier to deal with. Yeah. You know, it, it may not feel any better. I mean, certainly, you know, if I write a story and an editor says, well, I really liked it, but you know, there's, there's a little bit of a crush. There's mm -hmm. that, ah, um, you know, there are a couple editors that I would love to sell a story to and I haven't yet and maybe I won't ever. And, you know, I'm not going to sit here and fling my hand on my forehead and cry, <laughs> woe is me. Although, you know, that, I don't know. Whoa, whoa. <laughs> I mean, I could, but it's not going to help anything. So I think that there's a tendency in when you're starting out those rejections, you feel you take them personally and, mm -hmm. For the most part, they're not. I mean, I'm certain there are some. I mean, I would imagine there are editors who, I well, you know, I don't know. I, I, <laughs> I'm not. I'm not a conspiracy theorist, and I don't. There is no cabal. But if I if I were an editor and there was an author who I knew who was a complete shit of a person, yeah, I would publish them. <laughs> so in that case, it is personal. But for the most part, it's not. It's business. It's it's this story. You know, I have to love this story because I'm, you know, I'm paying for it. And mm -hmm. if I don't love it, then I'm not going to pay for it. Or maybe I love it, but I love this other one more. Mm -hmm. Yeah, all of that makes perfect sense. And even everything you say about, you know, the 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 inherent. Uh, I mean, the, well, I don't know if inherent is the right word, but just the idea that you know, once you make the decision to uh, endeavor into the, the, the world of, of publishing on any level, rejection just, it comes with the territory. And, uh, and you know, uh, it's, I, I know in my own experience, it was more stinging in, in the beginning. Uh, and it doesn't necessarily feel better later, but, you know, you sort of come to understand the, you know, what it is. And more times than not, it's not, it's not personal. And, uh, and even along with getting published, um, one of the, 
one of the most common places that that a writer experiences rejection is uh is is when they is when they're looking to secure a, a literary agent and and most writers um for for you know in large part just because the numbers are not working in their favor you know never do end up hooking with hooking up with a, a literary agent um in your case you're represented by the by the bent agency by heather flowerty and uh and i would love to hear just 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 the process of how you guys hooked up because it is uh, for so many writers, just the idea of a literary agent is such, it's like this mythical figure and that, you know, to see one in real life, what does that even look like or how does that even happen? So um, uh, I, I would love if you could just kind of take a minute to, you know, demystify or over mystify. I have no idea. <laughs> <laughs> the process. Of well, actually... it might be more than a minute. Um, Heather, <laughs> is my, Heather is my third agent. Okay. So I, I have some experience with literary agents. Um you know, some good, some bad. I, I, I wrote another novel that's now, um, it's now out of print. It was, um, released by, um, Sam Hain as they published it or Samhain, if you want to be, <laughs> <laughs> if you want to be technically correct. But anyway, so I wrote a novel and I sent queries and sent queries and, you know, sometimes you get a partial request. Sometimes you get a full request. Sometimes you get no response. Sometimes you get a yes. Okay. So I ended up with several offers of representation. Yay me. I made what I thought was a good choice at the time. And unfortunately that, um, it didn't work out so well. So then, um, and from what I have been able to ascertain, he is no longer an agent. So anyway, then my second agent was the assistant to my first agent, but she left. And how she became my agent, I did not have to do any of the querying. Mm -hmm. She and I had remained friends on social media. And when I formally severed the relationship with my first agent, which he just sort of disappeared. So it was more of a technical, <laughs> I'm going to send a letter and make this official. Uh -huh. So then she signed me. Um, and she was unable to find a home for my novel Paper Tigers. So then she decided to narrow her focus to kid lit. And um, I, I, I'm not sure, like middle grade, I'm not sure if she does young adult or if it's like middle grade and, you know, picture books, children's books. So, well, I don't, I don't write kid lit. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, sometimes my stories will have children as protagonists, but it's certainly not fiction for, you know, children by any stretch of the imagination. So we parted ways and we did that amicably. It was, you know, we're still friends mm -hmm. on social media. So I ended up selling Paper Tigers independently, you know, fast forward a few years, I started writing another novel. Well, that's not true. I've written, I've written several novels between Paper Tigers and the novel that, um, that, that, I queried Heather with, but that's neither here nor there. Um, so I wrote, I did, I did not try to query agents with those other novels. So I was kind of writing them for me. Mm -hmm. um, and then, then I wrote another novel and I was like, okay, this, this feels more commercial. This, this feels, this is not, this, this is different. This is this definitely, this is dark, but this is more of a psychological suspense. Um, so I wrote up a query letter um, and started sending out, you know, did research, had a list of agents, you know, had a, had a much shorter list this time around. 
Heather was one of the first, she was in the first, the first or second batch that of queries. I think she was in the first because mm-hmm. I had like, um, you know, a handful of agents at the, at the top. And really it was, it was a, you know, it, it, I mean, it's certainly, do they have a good reputation? Do they, you know, do they represent darker fiction? Do they represent any writers that I know and, and had this very long list? And then I ended up getting an offer um, from another agent, from one in the, and I, I can't remember how many query letters I ended up sending, maybe 30. Um, I'm not sure. At one point, I think I had 15 or 16 agents with the manuscript. And so I got an offer and I had to let everyone else know who had the manuscript. Mm-hmm. Well, Heather's guidelines at that time, and I don't know what they are anymore, you had to, I, I'm pretty sure it was you send X amount of pages along with the query letter. So, and I I really liked her as an agent and I really liked her on like Twitter online. I, I just, I just liked her as a person mm-hmm. from, you know, what I could see. So I pinged her and said, you know, Hey, you know, I got this offer and, you know, basically I went through and I let everyone know who had the manuscript that I had an offer, but there were also a couple agents who their guidelines ask for, say, anywhere between 25 and 50 pages. And I just kind of said the heck with it and pinged them as well. And I think I had three of them that I did that ask for the manuscript. I ended up with three offers. Oh, wow. Um, And I, I narrowed it down to two and it was, it, it, it was, you know, when Heather, when Heather and I spoke, I was, it, it just, we just clicked and I was like, okay, this, this is amazing. We spent, I don't know, an hour and a half on the phone. And then, um, I got another offer and spoke with another agent like the next night or two nights later. And we spent like the same amount of time on the phone, maybe even longer. And we clicked and it was, <laughs> it, it was, you know, there, there are a lot of times I remember being, you know, like a baby writer before I ever sent a query letter saying, wow, it would be so amazing to have, you know, multiple offers. And this has now happened to me twice. And you know what? It, it, it is and it isn't. It is because it, there's some validation in that, well, hey, this, this book might be something good, but there's also, uh, oh no, I have to decide. I can't say yes to everyone. And I've, <laughs> I was a little, you know, a little gun shy. I had made what I thought was a good decision the first time around and it ended up not being, you know, I, I, not being the, the best decision. So there was a great deal of agony. And then I finally realized that of, of the two agents that were in the running and actually out of, out of all three that I had, th- there were no, th- there were no bad choices. Um, you know, they were all really strong choices and I just had to, I kind of had to go with my gut. And what's funny is that the main character of my novel's name is Heather. So, you know, it's kind of it, it, <laughs> one of those fortuitous circumstances. I don't know. I just, and I have, I love working with her. She has got a really, really amazing keen eye. We, we just finished a major, well, I just finished some, some major revisions. We kind of retooled the ending and, and there's, there's a whole lot of, of stuff. We just, I just, you know, added another 7,000 words to the novel and, you know, sent it to her last week with fingers crossed that, that 
she likes it. So we'll see what happens. That you know, is and, a, and, no, that that's, that's really awesome. And I, and I love, I love all of that insight because, uh, cause you know, I've, I've, um, I, I've never worked with a, a literary agent. I've, I've, I've met a couple and I've, uh, and I've gone through the process of, you know, sending out queries and, and collecting rejection letters. Uh, so I'm always very, uh, grateful to kind of, to kind of get a little bit of a insight behind the curtain as far as, uh, what all of that looks like. So that's, uh, that's, that's very cool. I appreciate you sharing that. Um, uh, I, I want to uh, I want to I want to bring in our, our buddy who's who's been hanging out uh, <laughs> very uh, very patiently and I assume attentively up to this point. Ben, um, we didn't forget about you. <laughs> we didn't. I promise. <laughs> uh, oh, oh, I'm sorry. Hi, everyone. It's it, it's a delight to be here. How how is everyone? <laughs> uh, ben, Ben, we haven't actually introduced you yet, so. Oh, okay. yeah. I'm sorry. No, no, I'll no, no. no. <laughs> Do that. So, <laughs> uh, so this this is a uh, that that's the voice of of not only my 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 dear friend Ben Eats, but he's also my favorite action hero, and I, <laughs> uh, and I can only assume Damien has no idea what I'm talking about. So, in just a sec, I will ask Ben to illuminate at least a little bit about that. Uh, but Ben has been on the show previously. He was on episodes 53 and episode 122. 122 is when I learned that Ben Eats is actually my favorite action hero. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and I'm, I'm so excited to have Ben tell Damien about that. But, but first, um, she care. <laughs> oh, believe me, if she knew what I knew, she would care a great deal. That's why I'm so excited for, for a, a retelling of this story. Oh, uh, no. But, uh, <laughs> I'm uh, humble. Um, but, but in the meantime, until we get there, uh, Ben and Damien, uh, you know, they collaborated and they, there's a, a, an anthology coming out, uh, on October 27th and it's a tales from the lake volume four. It's put out by crystal lake publishing. Uh, uh, Ben Eads was the editor of this anthology and, uh, and Damien is part of the anthology. Her story, everything hurts until it doesn't is going to be featured, uh, in this anthology. Uh, so, so Ben, uh, you know, now, now that you're awake and now that you're part of the conversation with us, <laughs> uh, please go ahead and tell us a little bit about this anthology and, uh, in particular your experience working with Damien. Sure. Um, basically I have always wanted to do, uh, a anthology. Um, when I, I think Damien and I were on the same page in terms of 2009, you know, that's when I also took writing seriously. And by that, I mean, actually submitting, you know, mm-hmm. um, and getting many rejections, um, afterward. But, um, I always wanted to do a anthology and, um, it really took kind of a backseat to, you know, writing short fiction, um, climbing that ladder, you know, uh, selling to pro markets, uh, then doing longer fiction and, and, and whatnot. So when the CEO and founder of one of my favorite presses, and he's probably the nicest person in horror, Joe Menard, um, asked me if I would be interested in editing Tales from Lake Volume 4, I was over the moon. I mean, I really was. And I, you know, I thought to myself, wow, such an awesome press. Um, you know, such an awesome human being to work with. And, um, you know, this is going to be a really good first anthology. And um, so we immediately started brainstorming ideas. And although Tales from the Lake was never really themed, it always had kind of like this subtle, 
sub-theme of urban myths and legends to it. And um, that just didn't do it for me. I wanted to really modernize it. I wanted to bring it back, you know, to 2017. And um, and Joe was cool with that. And, um, you know, I really wanted stories, uh, like I said in the submission guidelines, that were just absolutely unique, powerful, um, that's going to resonate with readers, knock them uh, knock them down um, and haunt them. And so immediately Joe and I started, you know, wondering, okay, well, you know, we're going to do headliners for this anthology, you know, who should we get? And um, Damien Angelica Walters was one of the first names uh, that got thrown out by both of us. It was hilarious because we were, because Joe lives in South Africa. So we have uh, you know, Facebook PMing. And as soon as he asked me that question, I'm typing Damien and he's typing Damien. I hit enter, <laughs> he hits enter. And I was like, well, it looks like we're on the same page. Uh, and so I contacted Damien and um, it was the first time I had ever contacted uh, Damien because I was already well aware of her work. Huge fan of her writing, guys. I mean, if you're out there listening to this, you know, pick up anything that um, she's written, go to Amazon.com, check out her her author bio page. Um, you know, she's really, in my opinion, one of the best we have right now in terms of power, resonance, a unique voice that really stands out from the crowd. So I was a little Goodness, nervous. Oh, you're, you're more <laughs> than welcome. And thank you for writing such amazing fiction. Um, so I was very anxious contacting Damien um, because, you know, we had never, I mean, we were friends on Facebook, but I had never contacted her for anything professionally. And, um, so I contacted her and said, look, we'd really love for you to be a headliner, uh, for this anthology. And, um, you know, uh, we would love to hear something from you. We're, we're, we're big fans of your work. And, um, as soon as she got back to me and said, you know, yeah, I'd love to, you know, work on something like that. Um, Actually, she said, who are you and why are you contacting me? <laughs> <laughs> I'm just kidding. Um, but, um, you know, yeah, she got back to me and said, yeah, I'd, I'd like to do that. And I was like, awesome. You know, um, so we were over the moon to hear, you know, that uh, Damien uh, was on board with that. And um, so once we got all of our headliners, um, basically, you know, we had a lot of people that were already, you know, making multi-million dollar royalties. I mean, I'm sure you know who I'm talking about. Um, but, um, you know, some we couldn't get, some we got. And, uh, you know, the ones that we got were, we were just so grateful, you know, for having all the headliners there. And um, so, you know, really the vision for it again was just, you know, let's update it. Let's actually have headliners. You know, we have Jora Lansdale, Damon Angelica Walters, Keelan Patrick Burke, Maria Alexander, Gene O'Neill. Um, so yeah, I mean, we, we have some, uh, pretty heavy hitters in there. And, um, so then it, it really came down to just running the queue and, um, you know, this was an open call and I got over 780 submissions <laughs> and I'm not kidding you. I almost lost my vision in my left eye one day. <laughs> I just saw this pink orb and I closed my left eye and it went away and I went to go see my eye doctor and he goes, yeah, you're about to lose your vision. Jeez. And I said, what? And so, uh, he gave me a lot of exercises to do with my eyes and I'm still, um, working on getting that back to where it was. Um, so yes, I, I did indeed bleed, <laughs> uh, <laughs> and sacrifice for the anthology, but, um, 
Yeah, I mean, Damien was just absolutely amazing to work with. Um, you know, she um, was a true professional, um, and she really cared uh, about, you know, what I felt about her short story. And, um, you know, um, you know, you rarely see that kind of thing happen. And, um, you know, a lot of the headliners um, were the same way as well. So everyone was very professional. Um didn't really have any problems with anybody. Um, it went, you know, very well. Um, my social life suffered. My girlfriend <laughs> broke up with me, um, but um, it was worth it, you know. And it's something that, you know, like I said, I've been wanting to do for a very, very, very long time. And uh, I'm going to be doing other anthologies. In fact, I've already gotten two um, amazing writers um, on task with it. Um, but that will be probably bleeding into next year, uh, because I'm trying to finish my latest novella now, but, um, you know, that's really the difference. And all the stories were really amazing and they all, you know, shined in their own way. Um, so if there is a sub theme to this anthology, it's in encapsulated in one word and that is harrowing, you know, <laughs> Um, I mean, if you take everything hurts until it doesn't, you know, that's really looking at and dissecting a family and all of us, um, you know, we have a certain dynamic with our family, our brothers, our sisters, our uncles, our aunts, you know, and when you get together, you know, for Thanksgiving or whatever, you know, it's always crazy uncle Bob, you know, <laughs> or, or something of that nature. So her story really resonated, you know, and I think everyone, um, can can really you know get into it because it, it really delves into family traditions and, and things of that nature and every family has that so um, but yeah you know once it was finished and making the final table of contents was the easiest part you know because the stories that were the best and the most powerful and the most diverse stood out like sore thumbs and were very easy to pick and um, I got all the stories edited and turned into Joe um, uh, early. So he was like, really? And I'm like, Oh, <laughs> trust me. Um, this is the final TOC. Trust me. You know, these are the ones that, uh, really deserve to be there. And, um, the blurbs that we've received so far from Elizabeth Massey, uh, her support, uh, with the blurbs, um, as well as John Palisano, uh, has been amazing. We're having more blurbs coming in as we speak and I can't wait to see uh, it loosed upon the masses on October 27th, just a few days away, uh, because there's something in here for everybody in this anthology. And, um, you know, I can't wait to see um, what uh, people think of it. The early feedback uh, has been amazing. So that is really, really, really awesome. Uh, Damien, I'm curious. Uh, so your story, everything hurts until it doesn't. Uh, was this a story? Was this was this an idea that you already had in mind? Was it something you were already working on? Was it something that you started working on after you learned about the anthology? Uh, what was what was that process? Uh, you know, that's a really good question. I am not sure. Um, <laughs> I this I, I really am am not. I don't know if if it was pre existing. It was only pre existing in part. Um, I. I wrote, I had a bunch of short fiction that I was working on earlier this year and everything hurts was, was one of them. But I, I think, I think there was another one that was pre-existing that I had in mind. And then I, 
had the idea for, you know, the concept kind of popped in my head for everything hurts and wrote it. And, and it was more, well, no, I think this one could be good too. So I don't, sometimes when, when I get an, an anthology invite, I, there's this tunnel vision. I get an idea for a story and I know that this is the one. Sometimes I'll have, you know, a couple invites and say the stories are all due around the same time. And I'm you know working on a couple stories or I have a few stories and there's a, almost a juggling, uh, which, you know, which story do I think fits the best because they, they will all work or they'll both work. So. Okay. That's you know, cool. And again, you never know what an editor is going to like. Um, and because I've not worked with Ben before mm-hmm. in a, you know, as an editor, I, it, it, I could send, you know, what I think is my best story ever and he could hate it. Mm-hmm. That's, you never know. There's, there's, I mean, I'm certainly not, I am not a, a, a snowflake. I, I know that, you know, even I'm, I'm certain even someone who, you know, really, really, really likes my work and tries to read everything will have stories of mine that they don't care for. That's, that's, that's human nature. I mean, even mm-hmm. my authors, occasionally I read something and, um, eh, you know, it's okay. <laughs> or, you know, or there are some stories, um, Dreamcatcher by Stephen King, where you know, scratch my head and yeah, no, no, this just did not work for me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I mean, it's it's also subjective that you never know, and yet you might read a story by an author that you don't like right now, and in a year you might read it, and it could become you know a favorite. Mm-hmm. Now, now speaking of stories, stories that work, I'm gonna, I'm gonna. I'm going to make Christmas come early because I'm going to go to my, 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 my friend, my favorite action hero, Ben Eads. <laughs> and uh, I'm going to call on a favor uh, for, for him to, to tell my favorite story. Now, oh. now he, he, he tells a story in long form on episode 122, so I certainly wouldn't, wouldn't ask him to, to go in, into the depth that he did before. But particularly for the benefit of, of Damien, who I'm, I'm, I'm certain I... It, I'm certain she's going to love this story. Please, Ben, please tell Damien sure. how sure and why you are my seat. my favorite action hero. <laughs> I'm sure she's on the edge of her seat. Um, <laughs> uh, I'm sure she's probably just going to put her headset down and go, okay, well, I'm going to go walk the dog now <laughs> while Ben talks about playing with his action figures. Um, <laughs> well, no, actually, I'm a collector of action figures. And um, one day I was playing with, no, seriously, um, uh, no, I've 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 been a student of the Japanese sword and of real martial arts um, ever since I was 19. And like yourself, I'm about to turn 40, so that kind of shows you how long I've I've really been in the dojo. And um, uh, it's something that I love doing. It brings balance to my life. You know, when you're writing some pretty horrific shit, you know, it's time for um, a break from that, if you will. You know, and uh, it's always been so. Um, you know, uh, awesome for my life. But anyway, um, where my mother lives, she lives about 15 minutes away from me. So we actually live pretty close to one another. And she called me one afternoon and she said that this man who was drunk um, and had blood on his mouth and, you know, going down his shirt. And I'm like, holy shit, it's a walker. <laughs> hey, <laughs> Coral, Coral, it's a walker. <laughs> okay, daddy. But, um, you know, I'm like, mom, did he bite you? She's like, no. And I'm like, thank God you're not infected. 
Um, and <laughs> she told me that he tried to force him, uh, him himself into the home. And, uh, you know, I said, well, that's not good. And so I said, look, I'm coming over, you know, so I drove over and, uh, we were talking about it and, uh, you know, I was trying to get a description of this guy. And, um, while I was there, yeah, he, he opened up the screen door and just pretty much walked right in. And I, told him to get out and uh a long story short yeah uh he went away in, in an ambulance so oh. yeah yeah did you bite him yes and <laughs> okay. uh he's not one of my minions i can control him okay. and uh okay. you know stuff like that but um yeah it sucks i mean and it, and it goes to something that you guys were talking about earlier you know uh, the age of innocence and all that um you know, it, it's it's really sad because, you know, in, in my neighborhood, you know, there's a lot of kids around. In my mom's neighborhood, there's a lot of kids around, you know. And to have some guy like this, you know, it just – and apparently yeah. what, we, what we learned that day uh, was that uh, he wasn't just trying to force his way into my mother's house. He was actually, you know, doing it up and down the street, and he had had priors, you know. And so when the cops asked me if I was going to press charges, you know, and uh, – I said, yes, yes, we are going to be pressing charges. You yeah, know, that's this, creepy. Yeah, Ooh. I mean, you know, I love my mother. She never uh, got in the middle of myself and my imagination. You know, when I was one years old, I was always playing make-believe and much like the same story Damien told, and she never hindered my imagination, and I actually dedicated my first novella to her for that. Um, so, yeah, I mean, you know, you got to look out for mom. And, um, you know, I, I was just happy I was there when it happened, um, yes, he did have a weapon on him and, um, he had a gun and there, it could have went really bad, but that's what I'm trained to take care of. Um, so I was happy I was there and able to, uh, take care of it. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I could go into gritty detail, but you know, we, we'd be on here for a long time. So I'll just leave it at that, you know? And it's that sort of, it's, it's, it's that humility that also makes you my favorite action hero. Well, I, Hey, I, <laughs> when you say action hero, <laughs> you know, that's, uh, I don't know what to make of that, but, um, yeah, thank you though. Oh, you're very welcome. It, it also doesn't surprise me that, uh, that, you know, like any, any other, any other editor might've actually lost their eyesight, but not Benny's action hero. <laughs> I, I hear a theme song playing in the background somewhere. <laughs> You know, like Chuck Norris's uh, Iron Eagle or something, you know, dun dun dun, dun the A-Team, dun dun dun. But, um, <laughs> but no, I mean, it's really cool. And another contributor we have in the anthology, Maria Alexander, she's also a student of the Japanese sword. So that's really cool. And um, so, you know, we share that in common. And, uh, you know, it's um, it's almost weird. You know, there's, there's a lot of them popping up. I mean, they're almost as ubiquitous as... Um, uh, karate dojos, you know, um, but a lot of them are just into teaching you how to chop, you know, uh, tatami mats, um, you know, um, and, but then, then there's a lot of them that actually teach you, you know, actual, um, fighting styles, you know, they're not dead, uh, contrary to, uh, anime, you know, where they're like, Yagyu Shinkageru, that is dead. How did you learn that? Um, <laughs> you know, no, it's not actually. And, um, <laughs> You know, you can actually learn it, you know, if you network enough and if you connect enough. I mean, yeah, you can actually learn some really old esoteric stuff. So I count myself as being very grateful. And like I said, to me, for my life, it's really brought balance. And, you know, writing horror, especially, you know, 
the um, the kind of horror that I write, um, where people say I go there and write hard characters. You know, at the end of the day, I need comedy. I need Dave Chappelle. I need <laughs> you know <laughs> um, something that's the antithesis of what I just did. <laughs> you know. And uh, trust me, nothing takes your your mind off of that quicker than holding a four foot razor with other people holding four foot razors. So, <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, Damien, Angelica Walters, Ben Eads, you have both been exceedingly generous with your time. So we'll start wrapping up in just a second. But uh, before we do, from uh, from both of you, if, if any last words in terms of uh, how folks can get in touch with you, how they can learn more about about your work, uh, by all means, please go ahead and share that. Okay, for me, the easiest way, my website is DamianAngelicaWalters.com. I have links to my short fiction collection, to novels, to the forthcoming collection, to my short fiction page has links where people can, you know, the Amazon pages for various anthologies or their stories that are online. Um, I'm on Twitter at um, Damian A. Walters. I'm on Facebook too, but I am notoriously bad about accepting, going through and accepting friend requests. I think I have over a hundred right now. Um, and I just, I, I look at them and I, I, I'm like, yeah, I, I, I don't know. I mean, if I recognize the name <laughs> straight away, I will accept it. Otherwise, uh, I, you know, requires a, and I have no idea how it grew that big. I think that, you know, I just had a bunch of requests come in and just thought, well, I'll deal with it later. And the next time said the same thing. And now later is almost laughable because it would require probably an entire day because I I try not to just accept friend requests anymore, unfortunately. Um, cause you know, I've had a couple creeps and so I'm, I'm a little more cautious now than mm-hmm. I was a few years ago. So but that is probably there's a contact form on my website. So, you know, if someone if there's an editor who's never worked with me, who's interested in I mean, I've had a couple people ping me that way. Um, as long as it's not someone saying, oh, I love your work. Can I get a free book? Well, <laughs> <laughs> no, I usually get those through Goodreads, which is really interesting. The first time it happened. I, I was I was confused. I was like, oh, you're asking me for a free book and then it happened it it kind of happens on a regular basis and now i see that it it's something that just happens to a lot of writers on goodreads <laughs> but yes anyway that's my very you know roundabout way of saying my website's probably the, <laughs> the best way <laughs> to kind of see what's what's going on and if you want to hear me ramble about coffee or novel revisions i'm on twitter and i'm on instagram but that's I post pictures of food and, you know, <laughs> my yoga mat and things. It, I don't know that it's that exciting. This morning I posted a picture of my coffee. <laughs> I post pictures of my victims. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> oh, I do post pictures of like what I'm reading on Instagram. Well, that's cool. So, yeah. All right, Ben, how can folks find you? Uh, take five candles. Um, hail the winds of the north. Mm-hmm. Uh, use non-Euclidean geometry. Mm-hmm. Uh, sign Astaroth's book. Brown Jenkins will show you where I live. Um, now, people can go to <laughs> www.beneedsfiction.com, uh, and that is E A D is in dog, S is in Sam, 
fiction.com. Um, that's really, but honestly, how you can really keep up with me is on Facebook. Facebook is pretty much where I do a lot of my business networking and connecting with people and things of that nature. Um, so I think Facebook is really the best place for people to connect with me. Um, and um, to plug, you know, the many things that Crystal Lake Publishing is doing right now, we have now we have our own patron page. You can go there. We also have our own Indiegogo campaign. And the best way to follow these things is to go on Facebook and uh, befriend or follow Crystal Lake Publishing so you can keep up to date with what we're doing. Um, I'm also uh, a mentor, so for writers out there who are interested in joining the Crystal Lake Publishing Mentorship Program, um, feel free to check that out. You can go to www.crystallakepub.com and click on the mentorship page, and we have various uh, levels where one level you can get uh, professionally edited uh, short fiction, another you get you know, hands-on Skype sessions with myself, Monique, and Stephanie. Oh, God, Stephanie, I'm so very sorry. I do not know how to pronounce your last name. Um, uh, Wykovic, something of that nature. She's an amazing writer. She's a Bram Stoker Award winner. Um, uh, so, yeah, you kind of get passed around and uh, get three different editors, you know, really getting in there and drilling in and, you know, helping you with your work and, you know, conveying to you what editors are looking for, um, how seeing how the sausage has been made, you know, since 09 uh, and helping, you know, presses when they do do a call for help has really helped me a lot. The mentorship program helps me a lot because if I walk the walk, I have to talk the talk as well. So if you guys are interested in that, if you're a writer looking to um, grow as a writer, um, please feel free to uh, check that out and and we'll definitely be able to help you out. Joe Menert, uh will also, if you choose a full package, will be able to show you how to market yourself correctly, um, how to actually break through um, tried and true methods and things of this nature. Um, and yeah, um, you know, again, my blog is www.beneedsfiction.com. Um, I don't think um, it'll come out in 2018, but uh, my latest novella um, is going to be coming out uh, in 2019 through uh, Crystal Lake Publishing, which I'm very happy to say. Um, and hopefully I can get another one out before that one. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so um, that's all that's coming down the pipeline for me. Um, and yeah, hopefully next year I'll also be working on an invite-only anthology for uh, for another press. So I'm looking forward to that as well. And of course, you can find me on Twitter. Um, you can also find me on um, Instagram, um, Pinterest, um, but mainly the website and Facebook. Very, very cool. All right. Well, once again, Damien, Angelica Walters, Ben Eads, you are each... Uh, such a delight to talk to this has been so much fun i i genuinely hope uh, we can do this again sometime so thanks so much for being on thank the show. you and likewise thank you likewise yeah. it was, yeah, it was thank a great you time so much. well there you have it didn't i tell you didn't i tell you that damien angelica walters was just goddamn awesome and it's always great hearing from my favorite action hero ben eads so they they were great to have on the show. That was a great conversation. I was I, I as much as I enjoyed having that conversation, it was really delightful to actually go back and listen to it again with you guys. So um, thanks again to Damien, Angelica Walters, and Ben Eats for being on the show. 
Uh, also, if you haven't done so already, because you were too busy listening to our conversation, please, right this very second, go to Amazon.com and get yourself a copy of Tales from the Lake, Volume 4. Don't forget to go to the website, of course, martinlesstrapshow.com, shop page, click on the Amazon banner. I mentioned all that in the beginning, but do that, and then get yourself a copy of the book, and then everybody wins. Uh, you know, Damien Angelica Walters wins, Ben Eads wins, Crystal Lake Publishing wins, you win because you're going to get a great horror anthology, and the podcast wins. Think about all the good you can do just with one simple purchase because you are a goddamn superhero, right? Of course you are. Of course you are. Anyway, that's going to do it for episode 178. Uh, again, thank you to Damien Angelica Walters. Thank you to Ben Eads. Uh, thank you to Crystal Lake Publishing, who, uh, who you know, for several years now has, has been a very big supporter of this podcast. So I appreciate very much Crystal Lake Publishing. And, of course, I want to thank you for listening, because if you weren't listening, this podcast wouldn't exist. Uh, that's that's true on several levels, right? Because, I mean, I mean, let's face it. If you, if you didn't listen to this episode, would it exist? I don't know. I'm not a scientist. I don't know how that works. So thank you for doing your part to help keep this uh, exotic, to keep, keep this, what the hell am I trying to say? To help keep this podcast uh, alive and relevant. It means an awful lot to me. So that's going to do it uh, for episode 178. And until next time, I will see you on the other side. <laughs> <laughs>